This is Blatant Misreading, a podcast where we take academic and political theories somewhere where it was never meant to go, popular culture. My name is Margie Tong-Oxley. And my name is Aaron Posner. Today, we are also joined by our very special guest, Langston Kotman. Hey. Hi, Langston. Hello. <laughs> so this episode is part of our mini-series on the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx. Today, we're going to be talking about the manifesto with the 18, 1989 Spike Lee movie, <laughs> Do the Right Thing. Yes. 1889, the first movie actually ever released. Yeah. He's he's quite old. He's... <laughs> Do the Right Thing is a comedy drama set in Bedside during the hottest day of summer in the 1980s. The story follows Mookie, an apathetic pizza delivery boy played by Spike Lee, and the Italian-American owner of the pizza party, Sal, played by Danny Leo. As the heat wave persists, the racial tensions in the multi-ethnic community escalate. At first, we see minor conflicts between the Italian, Korean, Black, and Latino factions of the neighborhood, but these all come to a head after several African-American residents, led by Mookie's friends Buggin' Out and Radio Rahim, stage a boycott of Sal's pizza, resulting in a physical altercation between Sal and Radio Rahim. Ultimately, the fight is broken up when the police show up and murder Radio Rahim. Having witnessed the murder of this central figure in the community, the crowd across ethnic groups join together and burn down Sal's pizza. The movie ends with Mookie, distraught and now out of a job, demanding his last paycheck from Sal. And so uh, this is part of our fourth part series, or sorry, this is part four of our six part series on the Communist Manifesto. Uh, so for a more extensive theory summary of the Communist Manifesto, you can listen back to episode 10 on the Pixar movie Ratatouille. Uh, so just as a brief summary now, the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx uh, was written in 19, or 1848, and it's a foundational text of Marxism, communism, and socialism, which declares a growing conflict between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat as the oppressor and the oppressed, respectively. Marx asserts that this class conflict will ultimately result in the destruction of the bourgeoisie and a new rise of the uh, a new proletariat-controlled state. The manifesto emphasizes a need for a world worldwide revolution in which the proletariat across nations unite and cast off their chains. So before we get going on analysis of Do the Right Thing, uh, just to note, we're eating pizza appropriately. A lot of the plot revolves around pizza. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine is from, uh, from Scars on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. I'm eating some pineapple bacon hot chili flake pizza from mm-hmm. Black Sheep Pizza. In Uptown in Minneapolis. Wow. Yeah, I have uh, extensive acid reflux, so I made my <laughs> <laughs> I made my own pizza, which is egg white and bagel. That's um, it was good, and like I froze the bagel, and I was worried it was gonna be bad, but it was really it was a really good frozen bagel that I reheated. So, yeah, where's the yeah. bagel from? Wherever my mom got it, I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, great. And so then we're going to play a, a little game just since there are so many like famous actors, some before they're famous, some like sort of already famous in this movie. Um, and so we're going to pick from a list, uh, and just, we're going to, so we'll name an actor and then someone will have to name a movie or a TV show that that actor is in and then so on and so forth off to name a movie. And then the actor in that movie. Um, so Langston, as the guest, do you want to pick somebody first? Yeah, I think I'll start easy. I think I'll start with Samuel Jackson. I think that that's like the easiest one. Okay, um, the Avengers. 
Okay. Uh, the Avengers has Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, all right. All right. All right. So just Langston and I. Uh, yeah. Jude Law plays Dr. Watson. Cool. Um, Jude Law is in the talented Mr. Ripley. Ooh, uh, <laughs> talented Ripley famously stars Matt Damon and is the reason that he would not star in Brokeback Mountain. Whoa, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we, was, we were listening to this other podcast and they were talking about how like Matt Matt Damon he was like offered the role and Matt Damon was like, "Well, I just made a gay movie and then I made a cowboy movie. I can't make a gay cowboy." Oh movie. my god. <laughs> Wait, what was this cowboy movie? I want to uh, see. I don't remember. Oh, okay. Early two thousand shit. So, okay, Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon, famously, is in uh, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Mini Driver. Oh my goodness, Mini Driver. I believe Mini Driver. We can fact check this, but okay. I think Mini Driver was in a two thousand two English movie called About a Boy. <laughs> Uh, who the fuck is in About a Boy? Uh, I think the lead in About a Boy is a, a man named Hugh Grant. Oh, that's on the money. Yeah. Oh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant is in Notting Hill. Uh, Notting Hill also starring Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts is in um, Pretty Woman. Okay, Pretty Woman starring Jason Alexander in a secondary role oh man oh wait uh jason alexander i'm pretty sure jason alexander is in the rocky and bullwinkle live action movie <laughs> uh, i'm not going for the easy pick i'm, I'm out <laughs> yes <laughs> okay um i will pick martin lawrence Martin Lawrence is in Bad Boys. Ah, Bad Boys also has Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith is in Shark Tale. Uh, oh, okay. Please refer to episode nine of Blatant Misreading <laughs> for an extensive analysis of Shark Tale with Judith Butler. Decide if I want to like, no, no, I, I won't crash it. Uh, uh, Jack Black. Okay, Jack Black is in School of Rock. Uh, in School of Rock is Miranda Cosgrove. Miranda Cosgrove. Wow. Is in iCarly. <laughs> is this oh. going to be a crash? <laughs> no, 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 no. iCarly has, it's going to come to me in a second. She plays Sam and she's got a silly last name. Yeah. And she dated Andre Drummond, the six foot nine center for the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I can't remember. Purdy, Purdy. No, I I gotta I gotta bounce. I don't know. You said iCarly, right? I mean, I can't say I know any of the actors' names though from iCarly, other than Miranda Cosgrove. Ah, uh, nice. Okay, uh, I feel like I get the point. Uh, yeah, you get the point. What yeah, I think it? you do. It was Janet McCurdy. Yeah, Jeanette McCurdy. Jeanette yeah, McCurdy. yeah. I, I, yeah, I got the Erdy. Yeah, <laughs> the crucial um, Cool. I will go with. Uh, I'll go with John Turturro. Oh, nice. Uh, John Turturro plays 
I'll be nice. John Turturro is in Transformers 2. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Because I think that's the only one of his movies I've seen. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Shia LaBeouf is in Transformers 2. Yeah. Fuck Shia LaBeouf. Fuck Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf is in Holes. Ooh, nice. Uh, Continuing with the theme of fuck, insert actor here, John Voight is in Holes. Oh, God. I'm out. Yeah. I'm a pass. John Voight is in (laughs) The National Treasure. Oh, yay. (laughs) Um, Oh, I'm going to throw you a hard one. Uh, Justin Bartha is in in National Treasure. Um, What the fuck else is he in? Oh, he's in. uh, Oh, okay. Uh, Justin Bartha is in The Hangover. Oh, nice. Ken Jong is in The Hangover. Fuck. Uh, what the fuck else is he in? Can I, can I, Fran? He's, is he in the hangover too? Can we do sequels? Mm-hmm. I no, vote no. Okay, no, no sequels. Okay, okay. No give, me a, give me a chance. Give me a chance. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a chance. Yeah, for sure. Ken Jeong. Oh, like, I forgot I can do TV shows. He's in community. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, this is, this is perfect. Uh, Chevy Chase is in community. Um, and he's also in, in uh, National Lampoon Family Vacation. Ooh, <laughs> which one? Which one? You said Family like Christmas. Which one? Uh, I think it's just called National Lampoon Family Vacation, right? Oh, so the first one is—is is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh... Oh wait, wait, wait! The little blonde boy who's the son, <laughs> and he's also in the Breakfast Club. And his name is like oh, sure. something Hall. Is it okay? I'm not gonna say this. I am gonna say it because I'm pretty sure Michael C. Hall is Dexter. But I'm gonna say Michael C. Hall. And if I am I right? Is Dang it, Anthony I'm, Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. But I didn't know he was in that. So like credit to you. Yeah. Nice. Wow. I think Aaron, Aaron, won. Aaron two wins. That was, awesome. that was fun. Yeah, great. So diving in to do the right thing. Uh, I feel like our first thing to talk about is our main character, Mookie, played by Spike Lee, the pizza delivery boy. Right. Right. I think that definitely, at least how he's portrayed by his boss, Sal, is that he is kind of, you know, a lazy employee, Mm -hmm. right? Kind of just skating by doing the bare minimum, you know, taking hours on end to deliver a pizza. Right. Right. Yeah. And and we know at several points that his wage he's paid by the week. Like he makes two hundred fifty dollars yeah. a week. And so he's sort of right. He's like they're always making pizzas, they're trying to like do from Sal's perspective, like a lot of business, and Mookie is just kind of like wandering around the block. Right. Sort of like we were talking about like I think wage slavery, is that it? So he's yeah. sort of He's not very uh, invested in the labor he's doing right. because it's like, you know, yeah, I feel like it paid like at the end of the week. No, uh, no stipulations. It's kind of it's hard to get invested yeah. in the work you're doing. Yeah, totally. right. And he has no way of like rising up in this company either or gaining yeah. any sort of like control over this, um, you know, pizza parlor because it's going to go to sell sons as well. Um, and so he has like, yeah, really no incentive to sort of um you know work harder than he has to right no definitely yeah and like 
I, I think, I mean, you know, if we want to make the argument, which is maybe the easiest one, that Mookie is like the proletariat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and right, he is alienated from the labor. Like he's not making the pizzas. And mm-hmm. Langston, you made the really good point that like he's also doing all this other yeah for them that that sal is like yeah whatever fuck you like yeah i he offers sal's like i think a sense of legitimacy in the community which is like not very tangible labor but is like labor nonetheless just sort of as like the only he's the only black employee he knows everybody on the block he's the face of it he does the delivery yeah i mean he's yeah he is kind of the 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 purveyor of all the pizza yeah yeah i mean even at one point we see him you know, there's there's a scene which we'll talk about more when Bug It Out is in the uh, pizza parlor and he's, you know, sort of upset that there are no Black people on the wall of this pizza parlor. They're only Italian-Americans. And it's kind of left to Mookie to sort of deal with this um, outburst, right? And yeah, so yeah. I think Mookie kind of does play this sort of, like, managing, I guess, like a conflict mediator role almost for the for the pizza parlor. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the... One of the Pino or the other brother, one of the Italian brothers, literally is like, "Go talk to your people." Basically, yeah. mm-hmm. so it's it's a, they they've they've accepted the role too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I just, I mean, I you know, Sal sort of wants to have it both ways, where Mookie maybe has some a slightly more like clear eyed view of it. Like Sal, like wants to boss Mookie around and have this power over him, like as you know, the business owner paying his laborer, right? but also wants to be like family with Mookie like, and uh, you know, wants him to be compliant, but also, you know, think of him as his, his friend, but Mookie has like fewer illusions. It's like, this is a job. I want money. Right. And I I feel like that's like a classic bourgeoisie ploy, right? Like we see all these Amazon ads of like, you know, the family of the Amazon delivery people. Um, And it's all, yeah, it's all just like, an excuse to you know exploit your workers and i think we see the limitations of this sort of we're all family rhetoric when ultimately the end of the movie it's mookie who is starting the real kind of riot against sal's place yeah great so i feel like that takes us to sal but then let's maybe just like talk about mookie's relationship with the women in his life for a sec before we jump to sal I mean, a there's there's not a lot of women in this movie that get like really full flesh roles, yeah. but the like the two big ones are so he's got his sister, who he uh, shares I think an apartment with and shares like a bed with like they sleep together, um, and we we were talking about I I was talking about this earlier, but just sort of like um, capitalism's effect on like the more like intimate aspects of life like. Yeah. how we group together, how we sleep, how the family is arranged. Yeah. And so it's sort of like in this community, it's like, yeah, like you got the one bed, everyone's in it. And so a couple of times in the movie, like you'll mm-hmm. see like, like families or like brother and sister. And like, you know, if, if you're from like, I think like a, a wealthier strata, you're not used to like the idea of like, oh, you share a bed with your sister. And I think that was something that was like, yeah. I was noticing that was completely like, no one really addresses it in the movie. Um, and then there's, of course, his uh, girlfriend and um, I guess like the mother of his child, Rosie Perez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If anyone wants to take her. Yeah. I mean, Rosie is just like, <sighs> Rosie Perez is just given such like, I feel like 
an unfortunate role in this movie because i mean her character is essentially like i think the best way i think i can describe it is like she's a ball and chain yeah right is that you know he mookie and her have this pretty young child maybe maybe he's like two um and i mean this is basically i think the thing that like we're supposed to see is like the motivation for why mookie has to keep working right even though he's like treated pretty badly at the pizza parlor um because he needs to support um his family and so she kind of plays the role of constantly sort of nagging on him i think is the best way to put it and nagging on both like mainly though for his attention yeah i mean he's like his relationship with her is like i mean he's completely like invested seemingly in making his money like that's the first thing you see him do in the movie is he wakes up he counts his money yeah uh i at one point i had a tally but he says like i gotta get paid or like talks about money like at Mm. least 10 times in the movie and doesn't like have a very close relationship with her or like his his kid, and I think they sort of yeah. serve as like that that ball and chain. But I think he's completely because you know you know he's a wage slave. Um, he doesn't get the time to like really you know his kid doesn't light up when he walks in the room. Uh, he complains no. that the kid is learning Spanish, and right. it's like in theory, as the parent, you could actually have a say in how the language your kid is learning. But he doesn't have the time to be around the kid. So. Yeah. I think, right, I, like, not to defend Mookie necessarily, but, like, I think there's something to be said about, like, his singular focus is just basically on, like, working. And he, you know, he goofs off when he can. He should be, like, you know, goofing off by going and spending time with his child. Yeah. Like, but, like, it, it's sort of like he, I think there's an argument to be made that he's sort of being robbed of free time. Oh, totally. I mean, he, he has. works and he goes to bed. Yeah, I mean, if if you have to sort of, like, jeopardize one thing, is it, like, your money or is it your family? I think, like, the only way he can survive is if he focuses on the money. Yeah. And I think... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Honestly, I, I mean, I still like, though, Rosie Perez, I feel like it's in such a... an impossibly hard yeah. situation. Cause just thinking about Marx, I think, you know, like, I think the classic sort of Marxist take of sort of you know, especially like non-working women is that women um, utilize their sexual labor as a way of, you know, earning money. And I think that she's in such a hard position because I think we do see her employ this though at times, which is worth noting, like somewhat unconsensually she's employing this um, or at least unenthusiastically, you know, it's, it, this labor is hard though, because she's constantly the balance between needing the, his financial support, but also worrying that if, she doesn't sort of, I guess, have sex with him or kind of stay happy and on his good side. He'll just like leave her yeah. as well forever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, she definitely like, I think the movie is focused on Mookie. And so like, he gets this sort of like, Oh, torn between two worlds thing. But like, she gets the like shit end in a way, the movie, yeah. I, yeah. in a way that I think the movie is not completely aware of. No, I definitely don't think. Well, I think she has about as much screen time in the opening credits as she does throughout the rest yeah. of the movie. Yes. No, definitely. Um, which is, I think, such an interesting choice. Like, because I think if you just saw the credits, you might have assumed that like she's going to be the movie main character. Her. Yeah. Um, but no. Definitely. Cool. So then we can maybe just jump to Sal. Um, so Sal, owner of the owner of the pizza parlor. Um, and I mean. I guess one of the central questions is what his class position is 
you know, you can say bourgeoisie mm-hmm. and there's something to be said for that. But like also he is clearly, you know, at least he at least presents to be working class. He's he's not like wealthy yes. per se. Yeah. But he, yes, he's by no means living, you know, in a penthouse in right. Manhattan and, you yeah. know, running his pizza empire. Yeah. It's really interesting, though, because we don't know where he lives. We know he lives around Italians because they make fun of his son for driving into Bed-Stuy every day. Yeah. So they me- they mentioned he, mm. I think they mentioned Bensonhurst, which is oh, a really? neighborhood. So they're like sort of in like North Central Brooklyn in the movie. And then Bensonhurst is like way, way down like South Brooklyn. Uh, oh, I'm so- oh, okay. Okay. I'm so happy you know Brooklyn geography because <laughs> Bensonhurst to me could have been Long Island. It could have been Jersey. I, I didn't even. <laughs> yeah. In the script. Yeah. Area. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, he's, we don't, we don't see his, we only see him in the pizza parlor. Like we yeah. don't get to see his home life, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. But he does pull right. up in a Cadillac yeah, and like a floral Tommy Bahama-esque shirt. So <laughs> he has some of the signifiers of possibly aspiring to be in the bourgeoisie if he's not achieved it yet. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think it is hard, though, because, I mean, in the Communist Manifesto, Marx kind of touches on the petty bourgeoisie. And, you know, I think I struggle to understand what is the petty bourgeoisie besides being the defining it as just like the bottom of the bourgeoisie. Right. Like the part of the bourgeoisie that is um, vulnerable to falling into the proletariat, because I I think I struggle to see what if understand if he is petty bourgeoisie or if he is like closer to a form of like an artisan, right? Like he owns his own shop. He kind of, you know, makes his own sort of craft products, you know, and sells them. Yeah. I feel like what we like, like totally. And I think what distinguishes him as being definitely bourgeoisie is that like, is the labor and specifically like Mookie, I guess his son's a little bit, but like really Mookie that he is like hounding this person, holding power over this person, both economically and like mm-hmm. racial power as like being white and employing this like black employee. And like, he's holding out money and like, yeah, like he has power over Mookie and is exploiting him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I get, I was like thinking about back to like Marjorie's point about like trying to understand like what petty bourgeoisie is. And I was, I guess I sort of think of it as kind of like, that like person who's like calls himself like an entrepreneur and could just like could just as easily get their company bought out by a larger company and then become you know part of you know the bourgeoisie officially because they get kind of sucked into a monopoly or conglomerate or they could just as easily get like you know because of competition they could just get like their business destroyed and then they're back and I think it's yeah. that like tenuousness. And I think Sal operates in that space, definitely. I mean, yeah. Sure. That's a good point. It's like, it's like Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> but I think Barnes and Noble is the bourgeoisie. I feel like Walden Books might yeah. be <laughs> the petty bourgeoisie. No. <laughs> um, but yeah. Right. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, he, he owns property, yeah. he owns the pizza parlor. Yeah. Uh, it's like he rents it from someone yeah. else. In, in you know what is um i think indicated to be an increasingly difficult area to buy property yeah, in. yeah. and i think it like as far as him being like an artisan right like i guess he enjoys making pizza like sure right but like but mookie doesn't right and like so he gets mm. he gets the and like i think that ties like 
to his economic and then in turn to his like whiteness, like that he like he gets to do this, right? Like he gets to like exhibit and like be proud of his Italian culture and like right. the pictures on the wall and make his, you know, right. like the Italian food. But like, but that's definitely not something Mookie gets. No. And he's, he's very unaware of that, like privilege afforded to him, and, yeah. you know, yeah. of his, his whiteness. Um, I think, you know, his, his Italian pride, I think he's, is a, I think a common thing, like in whiteness, focusing on your ethnicity. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he does even have that, line where he's like i built this with my bare fucking hand right instead of that like <laughs> entitlement of like i built this what anyone could have built this but i'm the one who did it and so i'm you know i'm a, i have earned this uh this spot in the community yeah right and you know and i think that brings us nicely into like the the big conflict of this movie and what leads to the climax of this movie is that is that the the strike against him right and the sort of you know, there's sort of two separate things that we see causing the strike. Um, one, which we mentioned before, is um, bugging out, being like, you don't have any black people on this wall, despite the fact that all of your clientele is black, right? And then secondly, we see um, Sal get just incredibly angry when Radio Rahim comes in playing um, rap music, right, on his boombox. Should we, should we talk about Radio and, Rahim yeah. before we go on? yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so like uh, Rahim is like this big guy. He walks around the neighborhood always with like this boom box, like always playing public enemy. Yeah, he seems like very beloved. I don't know, like what else? Yeah, I mean he's so yeah, he's beloved. He's playing Fight the Power. Uh he has um these two sort of like brass knuckle style yeah. um rings that cover all his whole fist, and one says love and one says hate. Uh, and sort of he's he's you know he either loves you or he hates you yeah. and he's gonna you know keep the same energy in the love as he does with the hate so he's, he's a very intense guy yeah he's definitely a complicated character too because i think he's definitely you know he doesn't only have conflict with sal he also has we see him have conflict with um you know the puerto rican community um being just like really angry that they're playing with like salsa yeah. music um over his music we see him um, kind of get into conflict with the Korean grocery store owners over like, like I guess there's no way other way to say it than just being kind of fucked up to them about like whether or not they can understand the kind of batteries he needs for his um, stereo system. Yeah, right. Not to get like too, we can maybe table this for, for later, yeah, later, yeah. but like it's the movie, like it really goes out of its way to make the point of like everyone being not everyone but a lot of people being racist and like not being restricted necessarily to like certain characters of like certain ethnic groups like that like there's like this long montage where they like throw like all these different like slurs at like all these different groups um yeah right yeah and and like the the privilege that um sal and um his sons have is like their their racism they can kind of uh table it and take it home with them yeah because like it's not affecting their their way of life as much you know yeah i, I think their sense of security and whatnot but the pictures on the wall for bugging out and raheem not being able to play his music and to get you know having to pay an extra 50 cents for more cheese on his pizza like those little things uh they carry a lot of weight and remind them you know that like uh you know we're a we're a sort of second class citizens here in our own neighborhood. Yeah. 
Right. Right. I think that. Right. That their buying power only takes them so far. Yeah. I think that like two things, like I think the point of, or at least part of the point of all the like, you know, I don't think that Spike Lee is trying to make a like, oh, everyone's racist, like type of, you know, bad on both sides or whatever shit argument. Like, I think what he's trying to say is like, this is wrong to do this. Like, there's no reason to punch down. Yeah. And that's what Sal so fundamentally at different points, like doesn't understand is that he has the most economic, the most racial privilege of any other character in this movie. Yeah. And right. Overtly he punches down the least until the end of the film. Yeah. So like, but like, you know, it's his sons that are being the just, I mean, the most incredibly like outwardly racist ca- character. Well, his one son. Yeah. Um, and then I think like also this idea of like a lot of the movie is like punching across. So yeah. it's like black people fighting with, uh, you know, the Korean community and the, the Latinx community is fighting with the white people and the, you know, well, that's actually punching up. You should do that. But, but it's the, 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 with the black community. Um, and it's like two conversations of like, it's obviously not good to hold these prejudices and like, you know, treat your neighbors like with hostility because yeah. of their racial and ethnic background. Right. And I mean, just to just to bring in Marx here. Right. I mean, Marx has that point where he's sort of trying to, um, you know, lay out the stages of the sort of proletariat revolution. And I think Lee gives us, Spike Lee gives us a lot of examples of um, sort of the, I guess, I don't want to know, I don't know whether or not to call it the lowest or the first level of revolution in which, you know, the different proletariat groups are just fighting against each other. And, you know, we see that a lot, I think, in these different racial conflicts between different racialized minorities. And then he kind of says that the proletariat is able then to move into sort of uniting and fighting against the petty bourgeoisie and eventually the true bourgeoisie, right? Which I think is kind of what Spike Lee is ultimately giving us at the end of the movie. Yeah, right. Hi, everyone. So this episode ended up running pretty long, a dense movie, so lots to talk about. So we ended up splitting it into two parts. This is the end of part one. Part two should be available to you wherever you found this podcast. It's out now. Uh, So if you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon. We have different levels of support and different stuff in return. We're at Blatant Misreading. Uh, You can also leave us a review or subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you like our podcast. This episode of Blake Reading is produced by Josie Baker and created and written by Margie Tong Oxley, Aaron Posner, and Langston Cotman. Intro music is by Connor James and cover art is by Hannah Grimes. Blatant Misreading is recorded and produced in Minneapolis, Minnesota, New York, New York, and Silver Spring, Maryland. How? Oh.